For many things in life, it takes time and effort before you can see meaningful improvement. But luckily for us, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted and ready to go in just two minutes. There are over 35 different options to choose from every week, and it doesn't just stop at lunch or dinner, they also have a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Truly every meal I've had from Factor has been delicious, but most importantly for me, it's beyond easy with no cooking or prep and especially no cleanup. Plus Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved, so I'm saving money and eating healthier even on the days when I don't feel like cooking. If you'd like to get started today and get after your goals, head to factormeals.com lightspeed50 and use code lightspeed50 to get 50% off. That's code LIGHTSPEED50 at factormeals.com slash LIGHTSPEED50 to get 50% off. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamor of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Lightspeed. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. In this episode, we will hear The Mathematics of Fairyland by Phoebe Barton, performed by Judy Young. This work is copyright 2021. Phoebe Barton is a queer trans science fiction writer who first visited Earth on an unseasonably warm day in the winter of 1982 and decided to stay. Her short fiction has appeared in venues such as Analog, OnSpec, and Kaleidotrope, anthologies from Bundoran Press and Alliteration Inc., and she is currently deep in the weeds writing interactive fiction with choice of games. She serves as an associate editor at Escape Pod and is a 2019 graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop. She lives with a robot in the sky above Toronto. You can find her online at phoebebartonsf.com. But for now, It is time to buckle up. We're going to light speed. The Mathematics of Fairyland by Phoebe Barton If you had a warp drive, it would be easy. The mathematics are strange the way ley lines are strange, invisible yet divinable. 
You've pulled your way up sterner mountains, fingertip by fingertip. You've already compensated for stellar motion, space-time curvature, hyperspatial congruences. You've scratched out hundreds of equations in cold blue hyacinth ink and piled them away in the knitted stocking under your bed, where only Berenice would think to look. Equations that would tell you exactly where to slice a hole between worlds if only you had the right knife. You could bring Berenice back home. You don't have a warp drive. It would be easier to get a nuclear bomb, and you've checked. Sub-kiloton models are always in demand among the asteroid miners. Warp drives are locked up tighter than princesses in towers, and for good reason. Warp drives are monsters chained inside niobium prisons with claws that rip and tear space-time. You were never afraid of them before, but they always commanded your respect. That was before, though. Before you stopped to think about what it must have been like for that monster to turn, to snarl, to carry your Berenice down a hole that disappeared in the darkness. If you had a warp drive, you could follow her, carrying at least a guttering light. You're each other's princesses, after all. There's an alternative beyond warp drives and nukes. The old tales are clear about what the fair folk charge for their help, but the cost of life alone is too much to bear. So you kneel in the station gardens and whisper your desperation into buttercups, at once hopeful and terrified that your words will find their way to fairyland. It's an in-between place, Psyche Harbor, a space station where gardens bloom within a polished hull. Below, the asteroid 16 Psyche glitters, a flying mountain of cold iron that no fairy could touch and live. Beyond, the vast and vaulting gap of emptiness between the asteroids and Earth. You know you're the only one who believes fairies are real, so you've buried your truth beneath expectations. You're good at that, at least. Your official title is Hardware Operations Specialist, but you'd rather think of yourself as a blacksmith. Your tools are different. Fabricator and versa instead of anvil and hammer, but the goal is the same. The gardener, Mariko, is a newcomer to the station. You see her in the corner of your eye when you crouch in the garden and whisper the fairies' names, acid vowels and obsidian consonants. You see her kneeling reverently in front of the buttercups. After a while, you begin to wonder... Maybe she knows the fairies' names, too. Maybe she can never stop dancing between the flowers. Maybe she believes. At least it's not difficult for you to broach the question. The gardener has the tall, spare, dark-skinned look of a Martian. Martians call their fairies gremlins now, but they never pretended fairies didn't follow them. That's the thing about Mars, the gardener says, her voice rich and loamy. Too much dust, not enough air. But that doesn't stop us from building gremlin traps 
If you want, I can show you. It takes a special kind of fairy to live on Mars, with no trods to follow and its soil half poison, half cold iron. They're the fairies that learned how to shred airplane engines with their teeth, to burn control cables with a glare, and when the first Mars probes flew, the gremlins went with them. On Earth, their annoyances. On Mars, with its bubbled meadows on hostile plains, their cataclysms. Of course, the Martians had honed their skills to trap them. Thank you, you say. There's always the possibility a ship full of gremlins might put into Psyche Harbor, after all. A gremlin trap, she tells you, is simple. Form over function. Gears that aren't connected to anything. Circuits that loop back on themselves. Switches that turn themselves off. Make it complicated enough, and the gremlins will flock to it. And while they're figuring out how to tear it apart, they're not tearing apart the life support systems. Once it stops working, that's when you take it out and smash it to bits with a sledgehammer and all the trapped gremlins with it. Of course, it's best if you understand gremlins as a metaphor, Mariko says. But that doesn't make them any less true, does it? The project gives you a distraction, at least. You never did this sort of thing with Bernice, and this far from the sun, you can arrange the gears to eclipse your grief. Still, you worry. You're not Martian. Your community never worried about gremlins. Do gremlins, so concerned with technology and machines, even talk to fairies? That's when you realize there's an alternative. There's no point in whispering into buttercups. No fairy would want to dig their heels in so far from Earth's green hills. The gremlin trap is a part, not a whole. You realize you need to build a radio, too. It's hard work to make radio waves shatter space-time the way starships do. In almost 200 years of faster-than-light freedom, nobody has figured it out. Warp points let ships sail through intact, but there's never been a broadcast that wasn't received as a mixed-up crackle, indistinguishable from the echo of everything's beginning. All you can do is hope that nobody's tried this particular solution yet, and that's why they still call it impossible. You know where you can find respite from your struggle, at least. In your dreams. You dance with Berenice among the sacks of fridge and snapdragon. If only you were an oniromancer, you could apologize to her there. Tonight you sit with her next to a glassy pool and trace capacitors and antennas in the clear and changeless water. You could stay here, Bernice says. Except it's not Bernice at all. It's the reflection of her that lives in your head, the costume you built out of tender moments and warm, lingering kisses and all the times you thought of moving to Venus so that a year would be as long as a day. We'd be together. Isn't that what you want? I want you 
you say. When you kiss her, her lips are fog and her breath is a distant whisper. The you who's going to climb out of the darkness, not your echo. You're so certain there's a ladder. Berenice dips two fingers in the pool, slices them through a circuit diagram, presses them to your lips. There's no weight to them, no presence. What if there isn't? There's never an isn't, you say, even though you have to force the assurances. The fairies will know. Fairies are legends, myths, unreality. Berenice stares deep in your eyes, and you stare back at the doubts you've kept bottled for so long. Her eyes are space black, flecked with hints of stars. You're grasping in the dark. Then I'll hear my way through. It wouldn't have to be much. Berenice's heartbeat would be enough. If sound could fly through space, you're sure you'd hear it across the solar system. Whatever it takes to open the way. The dream's melancholy lingers after you wake, and it sharpens the sour sheen coating your tongue. It doesn't matter, though. Here in space, there's never a time when you're not falling. Building the radio doesn't take long. You didn't last so long at Psyche Harbor and places like it by being a woman without skill. It's a challenge compared to the complex simplicity of the gremlin trap, and you're eager to best it. You forge a cold iron case to temper the fairies' tempting voices. Around its circuits, you weave patterns of spider silk to strum impulses softly along the universe's web. You whittle a second antenna from the branch of a rowan tree to guide your words straight and true. You finish the work 343 days after the science vessel Tabitha Boyajin triggered its warp drive in ordinary space and vanished, taking Bernice and all her crewmates on a voyage they had never anticipated. No one knows where a ship that warps in ordinary space goes. Perhaps, you hope, it went to fairyland. It's a wonderful design. Mariko says when you show it to her. You had to tell someone, and of all the people aboard Psyche Harbor, you're sure she's the only one who could possibly understand. I know this is a hard time. If you need to talk, I'm here. I need to talk to Fairyland, you say. Someone there knows what happened. Someone will listen. There are a lot of frequencies to try, but that's all right. Einstein caught a glimpse of fairyland when he realized relativity. You force the sharp wedge of experimentation into your responsibilities and hammer it with true blacksmith strength. Every night, once your work is done, you carry it to the garden and listen. Sometimes you hear voices, soft and sandy and crumbling, the codes of spaceship transponders, or rescue beacons shouting into the void. There isn't so much as a whisper of fairyland, only distant murmurs and 
softly roaring echoes, as if you're hearing the world from the far side of a dream. Once you finished the gremlin trap, Mariko said it in the middle of a little stone circle in the garden module. That's where she finds you, crouching with the hammer, waiting for the last of its workings to stop. It still feels like a waste to break it apart, but what do you know? You weren't born with red dust in your lungs. You did excellent work, Mariko says. Definitely Mars quality. I hope it helped take your mind off things. Are you doing all right? Her tone is thick and sweet like jam and leaves you feeling sticky. She acts like she understands, but unless her own love disappeared down a dark hole, there's no understanding. I'll be all right once this is all done, you say. Until then, I've got work. Fairies don't reveal themselves to just anyone, you know. Fairies. Mariko sucks in a breath so deep it might last the rest of her life. I'm worried about you, you know. I really think you need help. Maybe, but not the kind you're thinking of. You went through a full psychological evaluation before you joined Psyche Harbor, and you check up with a virtual therapist every two weeks. It's been enough to keep you grounded, here where the ground is spinning metal. I'm fine, really. As fine as Mars dust in your lungs, maybe. Mariko kneels down and offers you her hand. If you really want to rescue her... You need to rescue yourself first. I'm not the one who's lost. She can't understand. Only a handful of people in the galaxy, the dozen or so who lost people aboard that ship, possibly could. You're asking me to walk away from the pit when I'm holding the rope. You're on the edge of falling in yourself. Mariko closes her eyes, and you catch yourself wondering if she'd catch you or let you pinwheel over the side. We're all here to help each other. Let me help you, please. You're torn between possibilities. An angry shout, a calm explanation, a flood of tears. There are pathways to them all, but not all pathways lead to fairyland. The forest here is too overgrown and dark. Perhaps you're already lost. I can help myself, you say. Leave me alone, please. Mariko is quiet for a moment, then sighs and walks away. Now the world can contract into what you need it to be. The calm green of the garden, the gremlin trap in front of you, and the hammer in your hands. It's solid, present, substantial. Everything the warp drive stole from you. It's neither tool nor weapon now, but your determination crystallized and forged, and the trap is stuffed not only with gremlins, but all the anxieties and fears you poured into it. You test the hammer's weight, experiment, 
then wind up and strike. The trap comes apart under the force of your blow. Springs and coils and switches shatter across the soft grass in a constellation of debris. There's no hint of gremlin pieces anywhere. No matter how closely you sift, you find only shards of metal. It takes you some time to figure out the right conditions, but the answer has always been there, waiting for you to find it. On Earth, auroras are shimmering as far south as the Mediterranean. A new, dark storm has formed in the skies of Neptune, and an auspicious number of sunspots have persisted for seven days now. You're sure there's meaning encoded in all of it, and you make a winged leap into the work. You narrow down the frequency range. Would fairies be listening around the waterhole? and determine ideal broadcast times, balancing planetary arrangements and lucky moments, and all the other tricks you need to talk safely to fairies with more equations in Hyacinth Think. When the moment comes, you prick your finger with a silver needle and smear the blood on the radio's face. Your vital force should give your words power to breach the veil. You speak with confidence, with boiling love, with frozen determination. You weave the most compelling tapestry of your grief from the most carefully chosen words, enough that even the distant and merciless fae just might be made to feel. You don't hear anything, not even the quiet hiss that is the echo of everything beginning. For hours, you hunch over the cold iron case, run your fingers along the rowan antenna, and still you hear nothing. A lesser woman would give up there, but you are not a lesser woman. Neither is Bernice, nor anyone else taken when their starship vanished whole. There's another option. Sixteen Psyche is the frozen iron core of a planet dismembered a shield against Fairyland's fury in case things go wrong, and it's easy enough to invent a reason to visit. The mining is automated, but machines require attention just as gardens do. There's much in common between amaryllis and actuators, carnations and capacitors. It's where you can offer payment. A year and a day after the disappearance of UNEV Tabitha Boyajin, the most auspicious day, the end of a term of service to the Fae. You descend to serrated mountains, dry iron rivers, and a sky of unblinking stars. The surface of Psyche is a liminal place between life and death. The sun is a soundless shriek, a litany of needles. It's the best place you could be. Here, with no protection, Cosmic radiation will sleet into you. Here, you can pay for Fairyland's attention with all those years you'll never live. You clutch the Rowan antenna and hold it skyward. A challenge and a supplication. Your spacesuit's radio isn't powerful when it comes to the world. But Fairyland is everywhere and nowhere. Range doesn't matter. Honesty does. You call out to the Fae on all the quiet frequencies, the ones humans have stopped listening to, 
while cosmic rays flash in your eyes again and again and again, little glimpses of all the corners of the world you can't see. When you swallow, you taste metal. When you look around you, there's only desolation to see. Psyche is your life, crystallized in iron, and you understand why you stayed. Marigold. Your name, whispered above the hiss, jagged and icy, distant yet present. It's fairyland. It has to be. Marigold, what are you doing? I'm begging your aid, you shout. The solar wind is a whipping storm of light, and it's all you can do to keep from being dazzled. My beloved, she's lost, please. Marigold, stronger now, sharp enough to cut. Marigold, what are you doing? I'm doing everything I can. You can see the suggestion of Berenice out there, the implication of her life contrasted against the frozen ground and indifferent stars. I'm trying to bring her home. Marigold! It's as real as the air in your lungs, as the radiation warping your genes, as the hand on your shoulder. It's Marico, alive, in a suit painted with blooming flowers and twisting vines, an ambassador of the living world to dead, silent psyche. Marigold, talk to me. What are you doing? Marico. The gardener's name is heavy on your tongue. It's my last chance to get her back. I have to try. By sacrificing everything you have? You can't see her face shielded against the sun glare, but her voice does the work. By sacrificing her memory? She's trapped wherever she is with all the rest, you shout. If I'm the key, then that's what I've got to be. But like this, though? Marico gestures at the jagged mountains, the dry iron rivers, the uncaring stars. You can't be a key if you're dead. I... The word is enough for the reality to crack your suit like a hammer. The rowan antenna slips from your grip and you fall to your knees. I don't know if I can live without her. Maybe not yet, Marico says. I know it's hard, but one day. She offers her hand again, gloved and open. It's not easy to get a warp drive. It's harder still to accept a second chance. Okay, you say. Okay. Marico leads you back to the shuttle. You leave the antenna behind you, flat against the iron ground. It doesn't matter which way it fell. It will always point towards fairyland. Welcome back. You have been listening to Judy Young narrating... The Mathematics of Fairyland by Phoebe Barton. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, 
and this podcast is copyright 2021 by Adamant Press. Our sponsor this month is Tor Books, who's featuring Winter's Orbit. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon at lightspeedmagazine.com support. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rupnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack and Cade. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Heart Stephen King, Heart Chuck Palahniuk, Infected blends science fiction and horror into a pulpy masterpiece of action, terror, and suspense. James Rollins, New York Times bestselling author of The Judas Strain and Black Order. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Powerfully written, an unforgettable central character. Dallas Morning News. Infected is one hell of an exhilarating ride. Joe R. Lansdale, World Horror Convention grand Grandmaster and author of Bubba Hotep and Hap and Leonard. All 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror, are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Sigler is the Richard Matheson of the 21st century. Infected is a flawless thinking person's thriller. Jonathan Mayberry, Bram Stoker award-winning author of B-Wars and the Joe Ledger series. 